0: Good morning. How you doing? Um, Is there anyone who didn't see the game? Wow, I think there's three in the whole auditorium. I am so sorry. I mean, I really am. Many of you know I'm a a diehard Steeler fan. And with my Steelers out of the way, out of the playoffs, I thought, okay, on behalf of these people here that I love, I am going to go all in and root for the Broncos. And my, it's what? It's my fault. (laughs) If you're visiting West Bowles Community Church, is a church full of grace. <laughs> My family will tell you that I, I reserve solely for the Steelers, throwing myself on the ground and pounding on the floor, pacing around the couch, talking to no one in particular about this and that. That's usually this, but I gave that to the Denver Broncos last night and. Oh, I am so crushed. Are you feeling crushed today? That was a bad loss. Has there been, I was thinking in Denver sports history, as far as expectations going into a game that we felt confident we were going to win, has there been a worse loss in Denver sports history? Everyone's talking about Jacksonville. Were we more than a nine and a half point favorite for that game? Well, it's on a short list last night. And so I thought, well, okay. After Saturday comes Sunday. And so it's up to me um, (laughs) to give you a word of encouragement. I had an elderly gentleman in the foyer this morning say, you know, it's cold and the Broncos lost. You better bring it. (laughs) No pressure. And so I was searching for something, some word of encouragement to give you. And um, I found absolutely nothing. No, I. No, God had in place. Uh, boy, if there's a passage of encouragement in all the Bible, you can find encouragement any, uh, everywhere. But God had in place already this morning um, Philippians chapter 4. So go ahead, turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. And. Um, Uh, Let's find some words of encouragement uh, this morning. Uh, Before we look uh, at Philippians, um, I need to ask for your help this week. Uh, I would like to spend a a few weeks at the beginning of the year um, taking each week uh, a famous Bible verse or a verse that tends to show up on a lot of our, this is my favorite Bible verse lists. And so... um, Because there are over 31,000 verses in the Bible, and all of them inspired by God and so worthy of our attention, um, I can't do them all. I did the math and I found out if I took one a week, every week, it would take me 85 years. And you thought the series on the book of Acts was long. Uh, So we're not gonna take them all. So this is your homework this week. Would you please email me Uh, This week, today even, because I'd like to get started tomorrow on planning uh, this series a bit, would you email me two or three or four of your all-time favorite Bible verses? Uh, You see my email address up on the screen, and that will help me greatly trim down a bit from 31,000, okay? What are a few of your favorite Bible verses? Will you do that this week and email me a few? Yes? Awesome. All right, to get the ball rolling this morning... I went ahead and I picked a famous uh, favorite verse for many of us, and it's Philippians 4, verse 13. And one reason why I chose to start with this one is uh, it had a lot to do with what we were talking about last week, uh, what we opened the door to last week. If you recall, if you were here, uh, last week we began the new year by talking about the new beginning the transformation even that is available that God promises for those that give themselves over to God, for those who follow Jesus, for those who accept the presence and power and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in their lives. God promises that for those in Christ, for those Christ-ins or Christians he promises that we are being transformed into the image of the one who loved and obeyed God perfectly, into the image of Jesus Christ himself. And Paul in Philippians shows by shining personal example one of the biggest parts to that transformation that is taking place in us as we mature in the faith. Now actually, Paul's entire letter to the Philippians um, seems to be a favorite of most people. Many um, um, uh, in surveys say uh, one of the things they love about Philippians is it's very personal. It's one of the most personal of all of Paul's letters. He begins it this way. I thank my God every time I remember you. Isn't that a great way to greet someone? How would that make you feel if someone greeted you that way? You know, good morning. You know what? Every time I think of you, every time I think of you, every time a memory of you crosses my mind at any time, every time, you know what I do? I stop and I say, thanks, God. For you. And so you immediately feel that that deeply personal and loving tone uh, that Paul takes with Philippians. And that's one thing that makes Philippians uh, a favorite for many of us. But another factor that makes this letter a favorite for most of us um, is the sense of joy in the midst of difficulty that we read about there. If you had to pick one verse, or if you had to pick one book in the Bible and give it the title, The Book of Joy, or especially The Book of Joy in Difficult Circumstances, you might well pick Philippians. The Psalms are right there, but you might well pick Philippians as the Bible's book of of joy, and especially of joy in the midst of difficulty. And that makes it a favorite for many people. And that's not hard to see why, right? That has great appeal, doesn't it? I mean, it does to me. To to be able to experience joy, to rejoice even, even when we're in the midst of and right in the middle of tough stuff in life so would like to experience that joy during those times in particular. And so Philippians is a favorite for that reason as well. As we'll see in a a minute, when reading Philippians in particular, one important, crucial thing even to remember is that Paul has been deeply disappointed It's hard for us to think of the Bible heroes centuries later as as ever being deeply disappointed because we see the whole arc of their entire life and, and wow, you know, to be Paul and wow, to be all of these biblical heroes. And sometimes we forget facts like Paul has been deeply disappointed. And it's crucial to remember that Even as Paul writes this letter, he's at a low, low point in his life. One of the lowest points of his life, even. Because Paul wanted more than anything, desperately to preach the gospel in other places. It's what Jesus himself told him to do. But he's in prison. Even as he writes this letter, And so he can't do that. And how does a person handle such disappointment? Many of us uh, might spend our time complaining or get stuck in the disappointment or even have it um, uh, degrade into despair. It's not easy. To have expectations and dreams dashed or shattered. We feel a bit of that, you know, even, we feel even a bit of that, don't we, in the outcome of a football game. Did you feel that last night? And that's just a football game. I know, when Rebecca said, there's more to life in a football game, some of you wanted to stand up and say, heresy, But she's, of course, correct. There's more. But even something like that, you can feel, right, that kind of, uh, that, that uh, uh, disappointment of an expectation shattered. Well, if we're going to feel it for a football game, how much more are we subject to feel that kind of thing when it comes to the more important things in life? And with all that has gone wrong for Paul, shipwrecks and being stoned and left for dead and this thorn in his flesh which God uh, won't heal. And now he's in prison and he can't, he can't fulfill what Jesus told him to do. When we're reading Philippians for the first time and realizing that context, I, I, I keep listening for, for Paul to let God have it, Right? to go all job on paul or on god for paul to get all jeremiah i curse the day i was born and who would blame him can't you see going down the road you know you knocked me off my horse you made me blind for 3 days so now i can see it told me to go to the, and now i'm in prison What kind of idea is this? And you almost wait for it in the midst of his shattered dream. But what does Paul do instead? At a lowest of low point in his life, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice! The theme of this letter of all things is joy. How can Paul do this? How can he get there? What transformation must be going on in Paul? that he's even able to find joy in such a season of hardship. I want to know that, don't you? Because if Paul could do it, oh, maybe I can too. I want to find joy even when things are really, really hard. Well, let's read some in Philippians, shall we, and see if we can't. Uh, find uh, an answer. I'll read from Philippians chapter 4, uh, beginning at verse 4. We'll sneak up in context onto our famous favorite verse this morning, verse 13. But Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 4. Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious. About anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right. Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned... But you had no opportunity to show it. The church in Philippi sent Paul some monetary support. And I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then, as a summary, almost, our famous favorite verse, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And it's here in this book of joy that a man whose expectations have been dashed writes... That we find Paul's secret for finding joy even in difficult circumstances. We see what has transformed in Paul. I've learned the secret, Paul tells his friends. And Paul's secret summarized in our famous verse this morning. Paul can rejoice because he can do everything through him who gives him strength, Paul says. But what does that mean exactly? The big question there is, what does everything mean in this verse? If you're like me, then um, when you hear this verse quoted, almost exclusively it's quoted when a circumstance in someone's life turns out just like they want it to turn out. When something good happens, when something goes from bad to good, when someone has succeeded in accomplishing something they want to accomplish, we work hard, we persevere through hardship, and then when the hardship finally ends, and people say, wow, how did that circumstance change? Philippians 4.13 often comes, out. well, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And by the everything With that sort of application, we are focusing on the circumstance that has changed. My circumstances have changed. I can change my circumstances through him who gives me strength. And the focus is on the circumstance in our life that now has gone from bad to good or is going well. And the problem with that common interpretation of that verse is that it? Misses Paul's point entirely. Paul's point in context is to encourage us not to focus on our circumstances. And it's here where the most recent edition of the NIV. Which my wife just bought me for my birthday this year. Thank you, dear. <laughs> it's here where the most recent version of the NIV greatly helps us understand the point Paul is making by this verse because it gives us a much better translation of the verse. This translation better reads, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And the reason that's a better interpretation, as soon as you go all this, it forces you, doesn't it, to look into the context of, well, what's all this that he's just talked about? Whereas the other one, I can do everything through Christ who gives him strength, everything doesn't beg us to go look, because everything is everything. Does that make sense? Someone say it made sense, and I'll go on. Okay. Okay. I can do all this. Well, all what? In context, the all this that Paul can do is whatever circumstance I can do. In a different place, he says, he can do any and every situation, he says. In other words, regardless of the circumstances of life, I can handle it. I've got the strength to handle it because of Christ. And so the focus that Paul is trying is off the circumstance, and not because the circumstance is good. That's a little bit a different twist on that verse, isn't it? Paul isn't talking about being able to handle things, because in Christ the hard things necessarily go away. Praise God. Sometimes he takes them and they go away. Praise God, yes? But they don't necessarily go away. Paul's still in prison when he writes this. He's in prison, but he's in Christ. Paul is still in trouble as he rejoices in the Lord. Well, he's in trouble, but he's in Christ. And so he's testifying that he has the strength in Christ to handle the hard things, even if they never change, And that is a huge difference from suggesting this verse means that through Christ we can necessarily make hard circumstances go away. Huge difference. The point Paul is desperately trying to make with his dear friends in Philippi, and I know if he's listening in today, (laughs) that he wants to make with us today, is that we, like the Apostle Paul, when we are in Christ like he is, Paul's point is that We too can have joy and that our joy literally in Christ has nothing to do with our circumstances. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. It says more about the transformational change going on inside of Paul rather than any change in his outside circumstance. And that's different because, like I said, people tend to quote this verse at the high points of life. And that's okay, too. But God is, or Paul's reaching for far more here. Maybe in light of the Broncos' loss yesterday, let me use sports as an illustration because it's right there. You've probably heard, as I have, Christian athletes from time to time quote Philippians 4.13. I tell you, every time I've heard them do that, it's always after they win the game. It's always after they make the shot. It's always after they hit that last dive in the Olympics and get a 10. It's always after it turns out great. And that's fine, but just once, once, I would love to hear an athlete or anyone have this verse ready on their lips in its deepest context as Paul intended. And that is, after it turns, or even as it's turning out terrible. Even after a loss. Even after he or she blows it. And the reason I suggest that is Paul writes this at a low point in his life. And because of that, let me tell you, Philippians 4.13 belonged more in the Broncos' locker room last night than in the Ravens. Man. Man tough loss this is tough but you know what I can do all this through him who gives me strength ah that's the most radical of the truth that Paul is testifying to you know the day that I hear an athlete do that maybe one of you will be famous and on TV and you'll do it in the proper context I will stand up and I'll go yes That's it. Oh, what a testimony to a world that thinks we can't feel joy or we can't find joy in the Lord unless the circumstances in life match what we think is best. For them to look at a Super Bowl loser or a playoff loser or someone who's just horribly humiliated themselves because they couldn't get back and bat down a ball or whatever it is, for them to say, you know what? Yeah, this is tough. And I can do this toughness through him who gives me strength. Now, in the five minutes we have left, one step further for us this morning. There's one thing in particular that Paul highlights in our passage. One word he even repeats twice that goes along with his found transformation in tough circumstances, to be able to experience joy. Did you catch it? What one thing did Paul tell us twice that he learned that enabled him to do all this through Christ? Paul even calls it a secret to rejoicing in the midst of difficulty. Paul says it this way. I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstance. And then he says it again, in case we missed it. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. In a word, the transformation that God is doing inside of Paul, even as he sits in prison, in a word, what Jesus has given him that enables him to be strong is contentment. And where does Paul's contentment come from? comes from God in the person and sacrifice and the gift of who? Of Jesus. You see, Paul is so utterly and completely content because of Jesus that he has a peace that, acknowledge, that he acknowledges passes all understanding. And Paul's contentment in Christ throws open the door to joy. And that makes such sense, doesn't it? When we're content, joy comes more easily. When we're discontent, well, discontentment tries to smother our joy. And so learning to be content in every circumstance, the secret of being content, if we can find that in any and every situation, is the key if we're to find Paul's ability to rejoice in the Lord always. And how do we learn this contentment? Well, the key is Jesus. Through Christ, Paul says, he can do joy in any situation. That is to say, because of Jesus, he is content. What Jesus has done for Paul is enough. We just sang the song, sing to the king. Why? Because he is all we need. Is that really true? If he is indeed all we need, do we need him and all these difficult circumstances in life to work out before we can feel joy? Or is he really all we need? And that's Paul's secret. For him, Jesus is everything. And when he's everything, for all that he has done for me, for all that he continues to do for me, for all that he will do for me, The magnitude of the riches and glories that are mine in Christ Jesus. Well, it frees us from that smothering attempt of hard circumstances on our joy because we're home free and they can't touch us. Now, contentment is not complacency. We still need to strive to love and obey. Contentment is not just sitting there and not caring. See, this is what happens. People have the personality and the empathy and the great capacity to love. They throw themselves into people's difficulty and pain, as God asks them to do. And while they're in there, the devil uses it against them in this way. Whoa, I know you feel so deeply the brokenness of this world. That's so discouraging, isn't it? There's no hope. It's too big. Nothing ever changes. It hurts so bad. And he robs the capacity to joy, using people's great capacity for empathy for each other against them. And they forget they lose perspective, the greater perspective of while in those deep circumstances, Jesus and what he's done for me. And here's the other thing that can happen. Sometimes people by their personality have a great capacity for joy. And you just happy all the time. And then they see and they look at deep hurt or something that's broken that needs to be worked on. And in order to keep feeling that joy and contentment, they don't go there. The devil says, oh, you're kind of a joyful personality. Will you stay over there. Don't get all involved in the muck and the mire and the mess and the hurt of people because your joy in that circumstance is going to be way too powerful for the Lord. And so, people, and so you got joyful people not deeply caring, and you got deeply caring people not being able to experience joy, and the devil standing in between the two of them going, (laughs) ha 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 ha. And Paul's idea, and what Paul promises in Christ Jesus, is the two can come together. And in Philippians Paul preaches mostly to those in difficult circumstances who have lost the ability and perspective of what Jesus has done for them and it robs them from their joy because the devil uses against them how important it is to fix this and how And Paul gives the encouragement there hey as the old hymn goes turn your eyes upon Jesus look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace and p.s. Paul also but in other letters he gets after the complacent joyful all the time folks who don't even want to go there and strive to He has sharp words for them too, but not here. Paul's example is one who, because he's in Christ, he can take all of that, whoa, look at what God has done for me. And he keeps it ever before him because he spends time with the Lord. And he gets it, and he can be in prison, he can be stoned. But at the same time, he takes that and he deeply cares for the broken and he helps. And that's God's way. I read something um, on Facebook. I read lots of things on Facebook, but I actually found something that I thought was good and helpful. <laughs> and it said this. I want to be a person that when my feet hit the ground every morning, the devil says, Oh, no, he's up. Oh, no, she's up. Yes! If you want to make the devil feel that way about the effectiveness of your walk in faith, keep striving to find that joy. Open yourself to that transformation and at the same time care deeply and work and strive and hard to mend brokenness together. And the devil will flee. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Help us to remember that we can do whatever circumstance, that we can do any and every situation through Christ who strengthens us. Keep us, Father, by being so overwhelmed with the hurt and brokenness from losing sight of all you've done for us and the strength that that brings, even the capacity to say, as Paul does in closing his letter, to God be the glory, and help us, Father, not to be so enamored with joy itself, to not risk it in going to where it's needed most in healing the brokenness. And in this way, Father, let the world know that you are the one indeed who reigns in love. Father, I pray this with all my heart in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. May God bless you. See you next week. Don't forget to email me, please.